Yeah, this is like wrinkly sounds. Wrinkling sounds. I don't get it. <laughs> Welcome to I Don't Get It, a podcast about performance in Edmonton. Uh, I'm Fonda. I'm Paul. And we are happy to be part of the Alberta Power, Alberta Podcast Network, powered by ATB. I think I trip over that every time I say it. The Alberta first... Powered Network, podcasted by... <laughs> yeah, something yeah. like that. Yeah, well, uh, it's a big, uh, big episode, Fonda. There's a lot... A lot to talk about. Yeah, yeah. It was a uh, well. We'll we'll just come out right and say it. This is the Children of God episode. Cool, <laughs> great. Um, the residential school musical that's currently, uh, as of recording this podcast, playing at the Citadel Theater right now, uh, as well as uh, Skirts of Fire happened. Yeah. Uh, that's uh, a great festival. And do this in memory of me, Northern Light Theater's uh, latest show. Yeah, so um, we both did see Children of God, but I also brought in a guest, Laura mm-hmm. Raboo, because um, she saw the Skirts of Fire show with me as well. So we had some stuff to chat about when we when we saw both shows. But first, I want to try and get some of your thoughts about Children of God, Paul, because we saw it separately. <laughs> sure, yeah, absolutely. Um, I thought it was uh, very powerful. Um Obviously, the subject matter doing a musical about about the residential school system uh, is is charged, um, and uh, yeah, there's there's a lot there's a lot to unpack there. I thought uh, I thought it was handled uh, in terms of the content of the show incredibly well. Uh, how uh, the storytelling, mostly from the children's perspective, and then uh, and then a few of them sort of decades on and sort of the the effects and sort of the um the long-term ramifications of this system and what happened as well as sort of the some of the very visceral things uh that happened there uh not not the cheeriest musical i've ever seen for obvious reasons but i i would say i think it uh manages to uh end without spoiling anything on like an incredibly powerful uh powerful moment that sort of becomes meta in a way and and connects uh connects with the audience in a very literal way uh as if to say that you know this is the trauma is still going on this is still ongoing we still have to uh this is still something it's a story on a stage but it's also a story that's happening all around us and pervading the mm-hmm. lives in our communities and and that sort of trauma needs needs healing in and still does yeah and it had it had an interesting way of coming off the stage mm-hmm. um, that I think has left a lot of people with a lot of feelings about the show yeah mm-hmm. um, that said as far as like some of the some of its structuring I think maybe the direction wasn't always as, as sharp as it could be sometimes there would be uh, uh, Things happening well lit on one side of the stage and then things happening in darkness on on the others, which and not even like, oh, someone is moving to their next cue, but like actual like choreography, uh, which I found distracting. And there was sort of like um, moments like that where it felt like it could have used sort of like um, a tightening up of sort of what are we seeing and and what's our focus on in terms of the theatrical staging of of the show. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. Yeah, th- those were my feelings on it. What did what did you and Laura think? Yeah, well, uh, I guess we can throw to that now. Yeah, I, I think maybe we'll just leave it at that and, and, and run it. Get into it. 
Hey everyone, I'm here with our special guest reviewer, Laura Rabu. Um, hi, Laura. Hi. There's been a lot of buzz about this show. Um, the Citadel artistic director, Daryl Clorin, says that he's essentially hinged the season on Children of God. Um, and uh, I mean, I think that uh, normally sometimes what we'd often do, especially with a guest review, we might do a hot take, a quick hot take right after the show on the way home. But we couldn't do really do that for this one. Um, so, yeah, maybe do you want us to start start us off, Laura? How how are we feeling right after the show? Yeah, well, let me first say that, like, musical is a loaded word. You know, mm. like, <laughs> when you say, I'm going to do a musical about residential schools, um, uh, you know, when you think of it that way, you think, wow, that's an interesting combination of things, you know. And so uh, you identify musical, for me, I identify musicals with musical comedy more, you know, like lighthearted, spectacle based kind of um, events. So so it's already interesting to be looking at really sensitive subject matter and then pairing that with the idea of a musical mm-hmm. uh, for me, for me, but also love musicals. So it was really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, of course, we we know each other mostly because we love musicals. <laughs> <That's true. laughs> um, so, uh, yeah, it was I mean, I've. I've heard a lot of feedback about the show, kind of going back and forth with folks, seeing a lot of the reviews. I think that, um, you know, no one can argue that it deals with a powerful subject matter. Yeah. Um, and in particular, they did kind of uh, just put to rest some of the conventional rules of theater. Mm-hmm. Um, they had a quiet space in the lobby that people could go to. They made it very clear that if you felt it uncomfortable at any point during the show that you could exit, take a moment to breathe, um, and there were people that you could talk to. Um, so I think that was really important for a lot of people in the audience, particular uh, with Indigenous background, to be able to have access to that and also to feel okay, that it's okay to leave. Like, it's okay to be overwhelmed. Um, it was a super heavy show um super heavy subject matter um the final scene which won't i don't want to really give it all away but there the final scene is probably one of the most powerful moments of reconciliation um that you can see you know um the audience unites uh under you know the one one large tragedy that happens during the show and um they're invited to essentially uh grieve and and share in the healing and it's in in those moments it was just kind of you know wow we are seeing something that is so important uh in in canada uh we're gonna see a lot of reconciliation style stuff like this i don't think this this is the first time that we're going to be asked to all stand as an audience together Mm -hmm. and witness and heal together um yeah i i I guess i want to know what you think about that as you know coming from like a a pretty traditional theater background um how are your feelings about how um the more unconventional parts of the show were handled Yeah, I think that giving everybody a chance to heal and reconciliation was at the forefront of this musical, even in the way that the um, the nun and the priest were treated and the children as well. So the children had the main voice and they were the carriers of the story and they were the protagonists. But I found it interesting that the nuns and the nun and the priest 
also were in this kind of in this sort of Chekhov kind of way, you know, where everybody has a justification mm -hmm. and a reason for the thing that they do. Everybody's got a thing. Yeah, everyone <laughs> had a thing and mm -hmm. everyone. And so I thought that was interesting. It was quite um, fair minded. You know, it was quite uh, surprisingly quite open um, on uh, for everybody to have sort of a, a character, a well-rounded character and a journey and wants and needs, uh, which I thought was uh, was quite interesting um, there. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The the playwright, director, composer, pretty much every man for the show. His name is Corey Payette. He's an OG Cree gentleman um, from northern Ontario. And um you know, I, I, when you say fair-minded, I think that that's kind of interesting because, of course, as white audience members, and the night that we saw the show, most of the audience was white. Yes. Um, we, you know, to be able to kind of, like, be given permission to also feel sad and to, um, and to just kind of bear witness to the, the awfulness, like, yes. the real true tragedy that, um, that we, as white Canadians, don't, get exposed to enough or we haven't at least to this point yes we faced it head the the play took us on that journey head on it was unflinching and it was honest and open and we saw into every crack and crevice of the kind of pain and brutality that these children were subjected to uh in a residential school system mm -hmm. uh, and we saw that it was a cycle of violence that was being perpetuated and had been happening before the as well you yeah because I mean? the main so the main character tom tommy um he you see him as a child in school and then he grows up he's applying for a job you know yeah. he's trying to he's trying to break the, the cycle and get out of his rut essentially yeah. and you it and it is painful because he's having a really hard time and um i found it interesting that of the six children uh, in the school, the only ones that we heard of, um, the, the only ones that we heard from or learned about as characters as adults were two of the boys. Oh, yeah. Um, they showed a lot of, um, and, and a lot of the, um, abuse and tragedy focuses on one of the girls. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, you know, there, there's that kind of part of it where, you know, I, I do think there was, there was an interesting nod to, um, a red dress in particular, I guess, is that, you know, the, you know, the murdered and missing women, um, you know, one of the girls in the show, Julia, this is, this is her main, um, I, I did find it interesting that the, um, focuses on abuse, um, particularly sexual abuse, um, and, uh, and like power dynamics, uh, with the priest and things like that focused on one of the female students and, the students that we got to hear from uh, as adults were male students. And it it did feel a little bit kind of like, you know, why don't we get to hear about what happened to the the girls, the other girls even? Um, mm. You know, I, I kind of wondered about that. But overall, structurally, um, what did how did you think of this as a, as a musical? Yeah, that's where I had problems i thought that the content was really interesting i learned things historically while i was watching it that i wouldn't have known and i heard perspectives that i heard hadn't heard before so i was really grateful for that but as a musical theater watcher like uh someone who really is listening to the music 
I found the music quite repetitive. Um, I feel like there wasn't enough um, depth in the melodies. Like if I'm thinking about something like Porgy and Bess or something like that, where you have a theme and the theme is developed. And yes, it's based in a very simple folk song. Mm-hmm. It's based in folk music. That's where the themes come from, but they don't, but the themes go on a journey and the themes are rich with orchestration mm-hmm. and the themes might change keys and they relate to each other in really interesting ways. I found this music, it didn't go far enough, like the melodies, like I heard the same melody over and over again with different lyrics mm-hmm. and like musically it took me out of the show because I I was getting tired of the repetition of the same uh, key signature, the, the same, same signature. time signature, the same uh, melodic structure. I could predict where it was going. Mm. While I appreciated the simplicity and the clarity of the music, uh, there were some very beautiful moments and there were some really cool moments in the music between traditional indigenous music kind of um, marrying itself with this more kind of folk country simplicity of music. Mm-hmm. I just, I want more. I want more music workshop. I want more instruments and I want a collaboration with musicians to further develop the music of this piece and the score mm-hmm. underneath. Uh, what surprised, what, su- what was most surprising, I thought about the show, and I don't have the super actual technical understanding of musical structure um, <laughs> that, 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 that you do, um, <laughs> but uh, it surprised me how conventionally and formulaic the music seemed. Like, I was just kind of like, okay, here's the big number before intermission, you know, like, here's here's her big song, here's his big song, here's the nun's big song, which was actually really great. The nun's song was awesome. And I kind of almost resented that the white lady in the show got the, like, really awesome song. <laughs> um, she was a fantastic singer, though. Um, it, uh, what, yeah, it it just kind of startled me a little bit. I was just kind of like, can you do this? Can you use this sort of like super, um, like Broadway style, like very formulaic musical, um, to talk about something as intense, um, and calls for as much nuance and, uh, understanding. And also I feel like should actually be ripped right out of the Western canon, um, with when it comes to talking about residential schools and the effects on Aboriginal population, as well as all of Canada in general. Um, like it kind of, it, it felt like it was an odd way to, it was an odd way to try and reach a white audience. And I don't know that if the white, audience who were super traditional theater goers um was really there for it they're like i've kind of seen a musical like this before i'm like but have you really (laughs) yeah well i don't know if it was intended to reach a white audience um or if it would have been more beneficial for indigenous people to be seeing this show as well but i did find i was thinking about that i was like how many indigenous people are going to come to the citadel to see this show like Mm -hmm. like who is it going to reach the intended audience Mm-hmm. Um, who needs to see this show um, right now in this, you know, is it rich white people? Because I think that's who was sitting around me. Like, that's the impression I kind mm-hmm. of got. I mean, I think that everyone probably needs to see a show like yeah. this. But was it was it the right vehicle? I mean, I was kind of trying, I was really mulling it over afterwards. I was kind of like, are there any musicals about the Holocaust that are actually set in concentration camps? You know, and I can't, I can't think of 
many instances. A lot of the musicals that talk about um, that um, that genocide uh, were were really they were subtle and creeping um, and they had this kind of like nuance about it that really dug into you. Like you think of Cabaret, you know, in the, the moment where the, the light comes up at the end and you can hear the music, but the band is gone. Yeah. Um, that's a theatrical moment that you just don't forget. Yeah. Um, and I mean, I think that they, I think that they had a clincher at the end of the show where it was, you know, um, the the moment is was very powerful but the rest of the show i was just kind of waiting for those insidious really uncomfortable things but because they actually essentially showed it all it didn't feel it didn't feel like it was making you try very hard it was just kind of like this is it this is what happened here you go yeah that's a really interesting point yeah i think that um I don't think that there's a, anything sacred that music can't touch. Like, I don't think there's a story that that can't be told with with music because I love music. And I, I think that music opens up and tells a subconscious story that, you know. But um, did this, did the music of this, did the body, did, did it dig deep enough? Did, did the music dig deep enough into the pain? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I feel like it was really it's really hard to kind of um, talk about it and absorb in a certain way because you realize how important um, and integral the subject matter is. And I think everyone should go see the show. Yes. Um, but, you know, I I had the music from Town in my mind for four weeks afterwards, and mm-hmm. I don't have that from this show. Yeah, I would agree. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that anybody who is... Uh, a pro- progressive and wants theater to to change and wants to see um, musicals from the ground up mm. be supported, especially Canadian musicals. Mm-hmm. They should buy a ticket to this show and and support this show because um, it's the voice of the people. Like it's the voice of the people who live in Canada, and that there is something really special about that. Like for all the flaws that I saw on stage. Um, and there and there were very beautiful moments too. Like it definitely wasn't all flawed for sure. Like, mm-hmm. um, but for all the flaws that I saw on stage, I was happy that I wasn't seeing Hello Dolly. <laughs> I was yeah. so happy. I was like, thank God, I'm not seeing a, a Disney musical right now. Mm-hmm. Like I'm not seeing spectacle polished anything. I'm seeing something that's risky and vulnerable and and simple, and you new, know, yeah. and mm-hmm. truthful. In any case, um, Children of God, a uh, really important show. Kind of have some mixed feelings about it, but yeah. go see, but see it if you have the chance. Yeah, I think that people our age have been saying this should subscribe to the Citadel right now and keep their season going in the direction it's going because I've been really impressed this year. Yeah, buying tickets for shows like this is important because especially if you're not a normal theater subscriber, um, you want to support new works. You want to support stuff that's coming out, especially things like this because we need to see more Indigenous people on stage. Um, white White audiences and Indigenous audiences need to see more Indigenous people on stage. Um, and so in that way, yeah, the Children of God was uh, really, really big. <laughs> um, so, um, Laura, we saw a, a show called Words Unzipped as part of the Skirts of Fire Festival. 
Yeah, it was a great night. What a party. It was packed in there. It was so fun and such a great show. It was really exciting to see all these amazing poets and dancers. Yeah, can you just kind of give us a little bit of a rundown of sort of like the structure of the night of what happened? Yeah, so this was an event that was part of Skirts of Fire, which is, um, it's about three or four years old, I think, this festival. <laughs> Something like that. Something like that. And it's it's all based on women and women's work and uh, based in performance and theater, I believe uh but there's other other art there's art as visual art as well yeah, there's a lot of visual art they do like music and dance parties and stuff it's all based in the alberta avenue neighborhood and it's all all of the events i was interested i was you know um actually really happy to hear they were all um by donation admission yeah that was awesome and this particular event that we went to tonight was about an hour long uh showcase i would say of uh new artists that are uh in the community and their work yeah, yeah, they I, it, they were all speaking around the same theme of being un, uh, unwoven, mm-hmm. and I mean, to me, I mean, I'm I'm not a mom, but a lot of the narrative in the pieces that was uh, that were coming out was about um, motherhood or relationships with mothers and children, and so I was just I know I know you're a mom, you're a great mom. Um, how did you um, how did you respond to some of those? In particular, I'm thinking of the one. There was one really powerful piece where. Um, she's actually talking about regretting or, or I don't want to use the word regret, but yeah. she wasn't sure about how she felt about having her child. Yeah, <laughs> I took it as something about or maybe having an abortion or something like that. Mm-hmm. I wasn't sure she'd actually had the kid or if it was the guilt of not having that mo- that day that the child was born. Like when you're pregnant, you're waiting for this day where the child is going to be born. And I had this sense from the poem that that never came. And it was it was quite heartbreaking to to see um, some a mom grappling with that, and it was quite a universal uh, message that really touched me and uh, that I could relate to really well. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, yeah. there was a lot of really powerful voices in the room. And it was great to see such not only a diverse uh, lineup of performers, but a really diverse audience. Felt very different than sitting in an audience, say, at the Citadel. Totally. Like, you're going to have some, like, poetry snapping and stuff like that mm-hmm. um, that comes from... Uh, an evening out with poetry and poetry is such an amazing thing to go see. I would really encourage anybody to go see poetry. It For some reason, even more than theater, poetry just gets me. Like I had tears running down my face this entire performance and I don't know why it comes from this place that's some sort of um, melding of words and music for me and that is a very powerful place for me it's like the text is the music so it hits me on this like totally emotional subconscious level um, all the time and and there's something just so raw and vulnerable about a poetry performance yeah yeah the the vulnerability I think was something that just really got to me as well you know you really feel that someone is up there pouring their heart out and I mean I'm thinking in particular of um Shima Robinson's uh performance like you know they were she was she started amping up at the end and the video that they had in the room started be looking like stars swirling so it's just like you could feel that energy that it really started even like physically picking up 
everyone in the house is starting snapping and like egging her on, you know, like it was just like that energy was just is communal and beautiful. And, and yeah, really appreciated that. Yeah. There was physicality and dancing too. That just was like getting everybody in the audience all like riled up as well. Like it was just this amazing energy uh, that I felt with everybody in the room. And it was really cool. Yeah. It was really neat. And we kind of ran into Annette Loisel who, uh, who is the, that runs Skirts of Fire the founder sort of um and uh and she was saying she's just like oh yeah you know i get so emotional at this sort of stuff and i was like yeah i think i think we kind of all do and i'm not sure if it's just like a room full of ladies like sharing the lady feelings (laughs) it was happening yeah but it was but i mean like there were young and like there was a a range of ages um there were there were kids there were a lot of people of color a lot of indigenous folks as well um it was in in tandem in the room we saw it at the Nina Haggerty Center um, being it was also uh, at the same time there was a visual art exhibit in the room that was all about wombs yeah it was it was really feminine there, there were vaginas and wombs and Everywhere. fetuses and all sorts of things yeah totally which actually you know is refreshing like to see like I, I don't know something about textiles and stuff it connects with you as a woman it's really nice to see things that actually are in your life reflected in art I, mm-hmm. I find it quite powerful yeah the the exhibit with the, the sweaters was really beautiful that mm-hmm. was like you know I mean we were sitting there reading those tags on those sweaters and I feel like it was um the artist uh the the artist statement ended up being something about how her mother um the, the artist's mother uh lost her ability to knit because of Alzheimer's yeah and so then she's got these like sweaters knitted and they all have these kind of like messages in them each yeah I thought it was um really good and actually that really got to me even before the performance started yes. just being able to see the exhibit in the gallery um I know that p- those pieces um the sweaters in particular were done by an artist named Casey Campbell um, and so, yeah, that was kind of awesome. neat. And Skirts of Fire, you know, I, maybe I'm biased. I live in the Albert Avenue neighborhood, but it just really animates a lot of the venues around here. And to to have a festival that focuses on all women, like, it's pretty cool. It's pretty cool. <laughs> it's nice. And, and I think that that's an untapped demographic, too, in theater because it was packed tonight and there was a lot of women there. Yeah, there was standing room only. They were bringing out extra chairs. And yeah. frankly, you know, I mean, I know this from working in arts administration for a number of years but it's just like who buys the tickets it's usually the lady of the house (laughs) um yeah so you know if you're if you're programming stuff that she wants to see and she she identifies with i think that that's that's really smart yeah it was great i feel this sort of renaissance happening in edmonton right now you know yeah well there's no i mean if this podcast has taught us anything it's like there's no shortage of stuff going on (laughs) that's for sure (laughs) thanks a lot laura thank you so uh, so that was our conversation about uh, Children of God. Um, I think that people will still be talking about the show for a while. Yeah, I think it's a, an important uh, important piece of, of, of Canadian theater that's currently, currently touring, which is great. Uh, before we move on to the next bit, Fonda, how about we do an ad? Sure. This month, Edmonton Community Foundation is celebrating International Women's Day in a number of ways. Their quarterly magazine, Legacy in Action, and the March episode of the Well-Endowed podcast focus on Judy Lynn Archer, CEO of Women Building Futures, and their Vital Signs report this month also focuses on key issues facing women in Edmonton, like the wage gap and growing rate of sexual assault. There's a ton of interesting information in there, and you can find all of these things at ecfoundation.org. And you can find a copy of Legacy in Action in this month's Avenue magazine. 
Okay, so the Northern Light Theater show. Do this in memory of me. Uh, I didn't see this one, Fonda, I, but you you did. Yes, I got a pretty special guest from APN, one of our uh, fellow podcasters, Dan Shessel from the Northern Nerdcast, joined me to see this show, which is not only a Northern Light show, it is also a Lunitiasco show. Mm -hmm. So it is alternating in French and English. We saw one of the English preview sure, shows yeah. <laughs> um and yeah uh we'll uh we had a had a great little chat with dan so um we'll go to that now um okay so hello everyone i am here with dan chessel from northern nerdcast mm -hmm. how is it going i am doing really well Good. Um, we just got out of uh, a Northern Light theater show, uh, Northern Light in partnership with Luni Theatre, um, and it was called Do This in Memory of Me. So, um, so yeah, what were your sort of um, initial thoughts coming out of the show, Dan? Uh, so my initial thoughts so far um, is that it's surprisingly relatable. I grew up in a, in a church setting, not Catholic, but a lot of the, the setting that it has for itself um, and a lot of the the scenes that are inside the the production itself are are very much things that pretty much anyone can relate to. Yeah, yeah. So the the show itself is about uh, the main character is Genevieve, and she's um, she's sort of, you know a pious young woman uh, who wants to become an altar server, and set in sort of uh, late fifties Canada seems like mm -hmm. um, they uh, and and of course she's not really allowed to become an altar <laughs> server. <laughs> no, not quite. <laughs> Yeah, or it's uh, or it's it's uh, frowned upon. Yeah, yeah, it's a very new idea at the time. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, well, I mean, uh, what's what's your experience with theater like, Dan? Where does this show sort of lie in your context of, uh, you know, experience on of stage things? <laughs> well, um, my uh, like a my wife, uh, she has a, a background in in uh, modern dance. Um, and I've, I've gone to a few modern dance shows. Um, I've also been able to uh, catch the odd uh, production as well. Um, not, not too many. I, I, the last things I've seen were uh, uh, Rapid Fire Theatre's uh, shows, but that's pretty much about it. Well, the rapid fire is great. It's on stage it is, too. It is fantastic. <laughs> um, the the setting for this show, or the way that they um, they the way that they achieved the visuals, was quite unique. Uh, you want to talk I, a little bit about that? I really do want to talk about this because this is something that I'm. I, the whole entire show, um, I was watching and um, paying attention to um, the lighting. Um, the subtle cues that they would have, uh, the way that she would move from one side of the, the stage to the other and the lights would come on in certain spots and really highlight certain things on, on the stage were uh, quite interesting. But not only that, they had this... Uh, um, like I don't know how to explain it, like a, a big giant screen sort of as the backdrop that they had. Yeah, yeah. Um, it was a large, large sort of scrim worked as a projection backdrop for a lot of video and animation. Yeah. <laughs> the the animation, um, some of it was a little bit jarring. <laughs> kind of freaky. <laughs> it was, some of it was really, um, really uh, disturbing, uh, especially at the beginning of the, the production. I was uh, really taken aback by what was going on on, on that screen. Um, oh yeah, the I initial mean, the initial nightmare that she yeah. has. Yeah, yeah. Um, but later on, uh, she was she's talking to um, uh, uh, one of the saints, 
let's say, and uh, the the mouth movements weren't quite lining up um, with what he was saying. And I don't know if that's a, an artistic thing or if it was just something that they couldn't quite pull off. Um, in my in my mind, I thought it might have been. Uh, um uh, purposefully kind of abstracted because they'd have to make the same stuff work for both the English and the French shows, right? Yeah. Because they're alternating the show in English and French. So that was kind of my initial thought, like, oh, well, they can use the same projection, of course, for both of them. But I couldn't tell um, if it was actually being reacted to in live time or not. Um, you know, you on, obviously there's, there's an actor sort of... Um, who is performing the voiceover for it? Yes. Um, but yeah, like the the. Um, I'm the... fairly certain that's not recorded either. Like I'm pretty sure mm-hmm. that someone doing that that live. Oh yeah, yeah. That it definitely you could definitely tell that. Um, but do you want to point out that the multimedia design, so that animation and everything, was done by Matt Sherman of Rapid Fire Theater? Oh, how about that? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, he's got a. a long time background in animation and anytime you kind of see uh, well not anytime but a lot of times in Edmonton when you see some of this interesting kind of um, background video work especially that sort of like um, almost replaces an entire set yeah uh, yeah often often he's the guy responsible for that kind of thing <laughs> I did like how it was very minimalistic on on the stage there was really only just one box in the front mm-hmm. and the the two doors. Yeah, and, and that is it. That's all that they really used. They didn't really have any props. They didn't bring out a whole lot of set dressings. They, there's no big changes, um, mm-hmm. but it, it really they used that space well. Yeah, yeah, it was very, very well animated, and for much of the time, really only one character too on stage. Yeah, mm-hmm. like she didn't leave the stage. She got in there, and she did not. I was waiting for her to like pop off stage for a, a second or two, but. No, she stayed on there the whole time. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, actress playing Genevieve is Nicole Saint Martin, and um, you said that you found um, her character surprisingly relatable. So, so tell me a little bit about that. Okay, so um, for the start of the the show, it really does lean into the fact that she wants to be an altar boy or an uh, altar server. Altar server. <laughs> um, and and I'm going oh. It is is going to be uh, a very much a, a feminist movement, and and it really was that. Um, and I I really loved that uh, angle that they were coming at, but it really didn't turn out that way um, as a whole. Um, it was a lot of um, emotions that she was going through during that the the time that she's that's presented on the stage. It's really kind of like a a cup and ball trick almost <laughs> uh you you're thinking you're watching one thing and it's totally not yeah yeah i mean in in the very beginning you know you see that she's just kind of like studying and practicing um the, the yeah. catechism and like about how to become an altar server all that kind of stuff and um and you realize that there's a lot of there's things going on in her life that um, that are maybe like having her. They're motivating her to seek out something else, something higher. Yeah. And um, and and it's it's not really a secret that something. Um, they they say it in all the show notes, so it's not really a spoiler. But something tragic happens to one of her schoolmates, mm. and um, and there's sort of an opportunity for her maybe to step in as an altar server. Um, so there's this kind of. Um, this is a new play by um, playwright uh, 
Kat Walsh and she's um the I I think that the script success were really that that subtlety it didn't I mean the characters Genevieve and her friend um who who plays quite a big role in the show even though you know this thing happens yeah um they they're 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 supposed to be playing quite young characters and even this this saint that appears to her is also supposed to be like yeah. 11 years old or something um but uh but it, but they really do have this sort of like there's this kind of arching um maturity to their to their seeking and their kind of like their discoveries about things as the script goes on the the mannerisms that they have on stage are uh very indicative of 12 year olds and mm. of sm- school children as well mm-hmm. um which helps a bit yeah um i thought that even, yeah even if they are fully formed adults <laughs> that are on the stage i thought i thought genevieve had the greatest like nose swipe ever she always kept kind of like wiping she, nose nose. Swiped. she also uh she pulls out her dress a lot yeah, yeah. Um, i noticed that um there's there's a few little things here and there that you you that they do on stage um that uh you would you can tell like that make them seem they, younger. Yeah, mm-hmm. that makes them seem younger. Um, but they also put their heart and soul into this thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, Absolutely. Um, and what about what would was your take on the um, the other actor on stage, the older one? So Brian Dooley plays both Genevieve's father and father, uh, the father at the church, the, yes. the priest as well. Um, I found uh, both their characters very strikingly similar. <laughs> um, <laughs> just in tone a lot of the time. Um, but I also found that, uh, he did a fantastic job switching in between the two roles as well. Mm-hmm. Um, even though he, you can definitely tell that he is the same. You total, of course, you know, yeah. <laughs> um, you could throw a wig on the man or something. <laughs> <laughs> well, they gave him glasses. Yeah, the <laughs> that's like the Clark Kent and Superman thing. Right, right. <laughs> um, but man, the uh, the he has one um, pretty solid monologue. Uh, there's a confession scene, and um, won't give away anything on that. But um, man, that was that was an, uh, a powerful a powerful moment for sure. Yeah, mm-hmm. I I really do um, like the. The, the women's rights um, portions of the the script um, it was really well done and and it's really hits uh, a lot of the the tones properly I, I would say mm-hmm. which is very nice to see yeah there's a lot of you know what is a woman's role in in the church um, <laughs> you know there's this great moment where the, the father at the church he tells Genevieve to go and find a saint that she identifies with and she can't really find any <laughs> yeah not only that I th- yeah that was pretty bad <laughs> um, not only that uh, she was told to make a sandwich a lot. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there was that there was that constant joke about yeah, go go make a sandwich. Um because well, you know, not only do the ladies in church make all the sandwiches for all the funeral services, um but you know, um Genevieve's been making a lot of sandwiches at home lately. Mm-hmm. And we'll and we'll kind of maybe leave it at that. Yeah. Um in any case, uh do this in memory of me runs until March 24th. Uh it alternates in French and English at La Cité Francophone. Um, so double check the date that you're do- going so that you know which language you're seeing it in. <laughs> um, any further thoughts, Dan? No, I, I highly recommend anyone, uh, if you're out looking for a production to go check out, uh, this is definitely one to see. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks again for joining us, Dan. Thank you. Bye. 
Cool. All right. So that was uh, that was Do This in Memory of Me, and it runs until March 25th uh, at uh, at Lassiter Francophone. That's the venue. That's the venue. That's <laughs> the place it happens. Great. Uh, shall we move on to listings? Yes. But first, another ad. <laughs> All right. On March 24th, Alberta Podcast Network is presenting Babes Who Brunch, Real Talk for Real Women Over Brunch. The March edition of this series from the ACE class features Ashley Jansen, co-founder and CEO of Code and Effect. This event is hosted by Andrea Bessa of That's So Maven, the podcast, at the Nook Cafe. I don't know if you've been there yet, but it's the old Masawa Cafe location. It's awesome. They have great food. It's a great little spot. Tickets for that are $45. Again, that's on March 24th, and you can find out more at albertapodcastnetwork.com slash events. Okay, listings. First off, we have Outside Mullingar by John Patrick Shanley, uh, which is a being produced by Shadow Theatre uh, and is running until March 25th, 2018. Uh, then uh, part of the Roxy Performance Series, a play called Poison, uh, translated from the Dutch original by Lot Venkemans. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing his name right at all. Um, but it's starring Amber Borotzik and Nathan Kakao. So that runs at the Roxy on Gateway until March 25th. Great. Uh, then Children of God is playing at the Citadel until March 24th. Um, and then you're going to go see Cinderella, uh, an Alberta Ballet's new take on Cinderella, which runs March 22nd to 24th. I sure am. Uh, and then Do This in Memory of Me uh, is still running until March 25th, uh, running in alternating French and English nights. If you've seen it in one, maybe consider seeing it in the other. See what translates in the other language. Um, yeah, and then Rapid Fire Theater is running uh, for uh, March, which is, you know, Women's Month, celebrating all the women things. Uh, Sphinxes is running um, for Saturdays in March uh, at the at 7.30 at the Citadel. Um, can you tell us a little bit about what Sphinxes is? Because I know you're with Rapid Fire Theater. Sure, and I am not in that show. Uh, <laughs> but uh, Sphinxes is all of Rapid Fire's uh, female and trans and non-binary performers. Uh, it's an incredible... It's an my incredibly biased take is that it's an incredible show. Check it out. Cool. And uh, finally, uh, to close out the month, of course, Betroffenheit is coming up March 30th, uh, 31st to April 1st. Um, you can watch our social media feeds for a ticket giveaway. Um, so, yeah, Brian Webb Dance Company has donated a pair of tickets that we're going to auction off somehow on the tweets or on the Facebooks. So check it out. Maybe both. <laughs> check it out. Great. All right, and so uh, yeah, that's that's all we got for uh, for this time. Thanks for listening, everyone. Go go see some stuff. Bye. I don't get it. Is a member of the Alberta Podcast Network, powered by ATB. You can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or check us out on albertapodcastnetwork.com or the CKUA radio app. I Don't Get It is recorded on Treaty 6 territory in Edmonton, Alberta in the Edmonton Community Foundation's podcast studio. Our theme music is Mountain Time by Ghibli, and you can find more of Ghibli's music by going to ghibli.bandcamp.com. I Don't Get It is produced by Andrew Paul, Fonda Mithrush, and Paul Blenoff. Sit here thinking about 